0: Welcome to Crossbridge. If you're a guest with us today, I especially wanna welcome you and just say thank you so much for joining us. And if you're a regular with us, welcome back. You know, just as well as everybody else, that my prayer for you and for every person watching is that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus because that is what we are all about here at Crossbridge. Today, we start a brand new series called Guardrails. It's five weeks where we're gonna be looking at different areas of our life that we could possibly be putting up some guardrails. And this is a series that was actually created by a church down in Georgia called North Point Church. And they are an amazing church who lends out all of their stuff to all these other churches and when, because they believe when churches work together, the kingdom of God advances. So I'm so grateful as I was listening to this going, This was so challenging to me as a follower of Jesus. And I thought, how cool would it be to explore this together as a church? So that's what we're gonna be doing is looking at this five weeks of what guardrails could we set up in our life. And since I've been thinking about this more and more, I have been floored to see how many guardrails are around us everywhere. It's not something I paid attention to, and I'm sorry in advance because now you're gonna be looking all over seeing them. And I'm actually not sorry because I hope it reminds you of what we're talking about. But we have guardrails everywhere and, and I think we see them in like three specific places. Sunday I found myself going over to Philadelphia and as I was crossing the bridge, there are almost always guardrails on the sides of bridges, right? They're meant to keep us from going off into whatever abyss or for us, the Delaware, when you go across the Ben Franklin, you see that nice light blue you know, paint that's going across it. It's a median on the, or a, uh, a guardrail on the side that keeps you from the pedestrians and keeps you from going off, right? So we see them there also underneath bridges when you drive down 295 or the turnpike. We will see there as well that there's usually medians. Medians in this place in between is where we see guardrails. This is to protect us from traffic that's going the opposite way or to protect them from us if we were to get off of our part of the highway. And the last place that we see guardrails is on curves. When there is a turn in a road that would normally be going straight, there's a guardrail there to remind us so that we could see things are turning, things are moving. There is a change that is happening in this road. And guardrails, they accomplish two things, okay? They accomplish two things. They direct us and they protect us. They direct us and they protect us. And here's what's funny about guardrails is Guardrails are never placed in the danger zone. They're always placed in the safety zone. You know, they're not placed in the danger zone. They actually take up some of this safe area that we have to drive in, and they're placed on that side to protect us from going into the danger zone. And we want them there, don't we? None of us are angry that they take up some of our safe space. None of us are gonna drive across the Ben Franklin saying, I really wish there were no medians here and I wish that there was no guardrails on the side because I'd love to see how close I can get to these pedestrians. I would love to see how close I could get to the edge of that bridge before I fall in. No one wants that. We love that they're in the safe zones to keep us from the danger zones and they're there so that they can minimize the damage. Guardrails exist to minimize damage. For some reason, if a car that you or I are driving begins to drift and we veer off and hit the guardrail, we may scrape the paint of our car, we may bust up the front end of our car, but we will be so grateful that it minimized the damage from us going off the road and into a ditch, off the road, off the cliff, off the bridge, into whatever's underneath it. We're grateful that it minimized the damage because we always say things when we've been into hitting guardrails, it could have been so much worse. And I don't think it's just when we drive that we need guardrails. If we were to look at our life as a whole, I think we could use guardrails all over. And we probably wish that different areas of our life had guardrails, that we had financial guardrails, relational guardrails, Marriage guardrails, moral guardrails, professional guardrails, relational guardrails that keep us honed in in all of these areas, because I think we all have regrets in our life that could have been avoided if we had guardrails set in place. I think every single one of us could stop right now and think of something that we regret and wish that we had a guardrail in place so that we didn't go off the road. Which leads me to believe today that the future of your life and mine could be drastically changed today if we begin to put guardrails up in our life. That we could avoid future regrets by putting guardrails up today. How amazing would it be if we could avoid regretting what we never did. It'd be amazing. And I should be upfront with you because I say it's amazing, but what we're about to talk about is going to be very, very difficult because we live in a culture that really does not celebrate guardrails. We live in a culture that doesn't even like guardrails or firm, you know, stances on things. We, we live in a culture that, I guess the best way to put it is we like painted lines that tell us we could go into these lanes and those lanes, but we don't ever want the guardrails that tell us to stay in our lane. Let me give you an example. Um, In our culture, we say things when we have a a difficult decision in front of us and we're not sure what to do. We'll say, well, what do you think I should do? And most of the time, the great advice we get is, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. What does that even mean? I, I mean, How do you listen to your heart and begin to figure out what your heart is saying? When I'm torn between tacos from from next door here or the wings at Classy Cow, what, what do I decide in that moment? Heart, tell me what to do. I don't know what to do, so I go with my gut and I always get wings. You know, that's what you do. You you can't listen to your heart all the time. Our heart's deceptive. Listen to your heart as a painted line, not a guardrail. We come to alcohol and tell people that they should drink responsibly. I think this is great. This is this is good advice, right? It sounds good, but what does it mean? What does it mean? What happens? when you cross the line of responsible and where is that line? What happens if a responsible person crosses the drink responsibly line? Can they go back to make a responsible choice not to do? No, it's it's a painted line you've gone over. It's not a guardrail. Or maybe to get it a little closer to home to something we all understand. When you begin to talk to your teenagers, Uh, about sex, or teens, if someone has said to you, let me give you some advice as to when to become sexually active, we love to say things like, you'll know when, when you're ready. Right, wait until you're ready. Ladies, I'm positive one of you must have come up with this advice because maybe it makes sense to you. But if I were to sit down with a 16 year old boy, look him in the eyes, and say listen we're going to have the talk and i want you to wait until you're ready. Oh my gosh, do you know what you're going to hear back? My man's going to look at you and be like I was born ready. Right? You you can't just say that and say wait until you're ready. There's no way to measure that or figure that's not a guardrail, that's a guideline. That's a painted line. It's not bad advice but it's not going to really help us. Does that make sense? Culture doesn't encourage guardrails, but I will tell you this, they will be the first on scene when your car goes off the road in your life. When you've missed that painted line, gone right off the road into a ditch, they will be the first there to shame you for how you've gone off the road when you make those bad financial decisions or morally questionable choices, when our marriages don't end the way we think, when we crash, they're there to highlight the damage, to measure the height of the flames and to share our story as as an illustration of reckless living. But if you opt in for guardrails, you may not be celebrated and people might fight against you when you want to put them up. But I promise you, you will have fewer regrets in your life. You will. Guardrails will keep us from fewer regrets. And this is not a new statement or a new idea. If you have a Bible with you, if you look at your Bible and you look at the first two thirds of it in this Old Testament, This is all God's word to his people, the Israelites. And when you look throughout it, you see this amazing collection of 613 different laws that God had given them. And they were guardrails, things that they should and they should not be doing. And if you are part of the Crossbridge family, we're going to be soaping this coming into our next month in July to look at what are some of these laws. These aren't unfamiliar to us. But if you get into the New Testament in that last third of the Bible, when you look at the biographies of Jesus, he begins to take these guidelines or these guardrails and starts to sum them up to make them a little more practical. And I love how the Apostle Paul takes this to the next level with these churches that have been developed all over the the world that they live in. And he writes letters to these churches that he loves so dearly. And I would love for you if you have a Bible with you to turn to the letter to the church in Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is what we call this. And and when you turn to Ephesians, we're gonna be in chapter five. And what you should know about this little letter and this book is simply that up to this point, he has kind of given them this list of do's and don'ts. You know, he's talked about these general ideas of things that they should and they shouldn't be doing. And when you get into chapter five, He's going to get very practical. And what I love about chapter five is that the apostle Paul gets practical and he doesn't know this, but we know this. He uses cross-bridge language to teach this church. And he's going to kind of teach them what steps they can take practically to set up some guardrails in their life. And in chapter five, this practicalness He doesn't want them to end up in a ditch, okay? He doesn't want them to end up in a ditch. So this is what he says. We'll be in chapter five, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, some of your Bibles might have a different translation in here and it might say something along the lines because in the Greek that word live there actually is translated walk and it'll say be careful how you walk. And the best way to kind of give you an example of this is I live in a townhome community. And I love my neighborhood, but we have about as much land as the size of my Bible for each of our townhomes. It's tiny, there is no land, everything is really shared. And our kids play outside, it's shared, and we happen to have a lot of huge dogs that live in our neighborhood, or everyone around us just likes our loop to walk their dogs. Now, if you've come to visit my house, you pull up, and you get out on the grass side of the street and you're about to step up onto the curb, in this moment I'm asking you to Ephesians 5.15, would you walk carefully? Because not everyone cleans up after their dog. And so now big dogs on little pieces of land when you begin to go out or when our kids go to play, we say, be careful where you step. So when. Paul is saying this to this church. He's saying, I want you to pay attention to your steps like it's a tiny piece of land and a big dog that you're following, that they live there. And so he's like, listen, I need you to walk. And here's how I want you to walk. Walk, not as unwise, but as wise. I want you to walk wisely. And again, when you look at this, This is so much more than I want you to choose the right things to do all the time. No, this isn't about right and wrong. He used his wisdom as the measuring stick of a good decision. He tries to say, if you've got a choice to make and when it comes to walking your life out and taking your steps, I'm not asking you to take the right step, I'm asking you to take the wise step because there are wise steps and unwise steps And this is so much more than right or wrong, isn't it? It's a harder question when we ask, what is the wise thing to do? Because wisdom will bring us clarity. When right and wrong, a lot of times they feel subjective. So Paul continues in verse 16, and he says, I want you to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And again, your translation that you're working off might say something a little different here because in the Greek, this making the most of every opportunity could also be translated redeeming the time. I need you to redeem the time. You know, Paul's using a currency that you and I understand really well. I'd like to believe that even 2000 years ago, well, when this was written, Today, we understand the currency of time so much more. That time is way more valuable than anything else that we could get our hands on. How many of us, if we had the choice, would want to go back and redeem time that we didn't use well? That we could think of situations in our life that we would say, man, I wish I could have that time back. I would have used it differently. If we all knew that we were gonna be locked up in 2020, it kept feeling like every month we could get out, maybe it's next, maybe it's next. So we had this indefinite amount, but if I knew that I had a year to invest in something, would I have used that time different? I'd wanna go back and redeem that time. If you knew that coming or going into work early and coming home late was going to lead to the family life that you have of a distant marriage and kids that don't care, Would you go back and change how you worked a little bit different if you knew you could save your marriage? Some of us blinked and our kids are no longer kids anymore, but they're teens, they're young adults, they're they're in marriages of their own. Do you ever wish that you could go back to some of the times that you just wasted and think, I just want a little bit more when they were this age. We all know how important time is. And we use the phrase, well, time flies. And what the apostle Paul is saying is, you have got to pay attention to the time that's in front of you. You need to redeem the time, this currency that's in your possession right now. And here's why, here's why you need to redeem it. And he just says something that might seem a little weird or a little odd. But he says, because the days are evil. You've got to make the most of every opportunity. You've got to make the most of the time that's in front of you because the days are evil. And 2,000 years ago, this church in Ephesus was living in a very dangerous time. They were living in a moment where depending on who was governing And being a leader, their faith was either celebrated or considered treason and they would be killed. They were surrounded by people who made horrible decisions very similar to us today. And what Paul is saying is you have to be on the lookout because what's going on around you is bigger than you think. The evil around you is larger and more influential and widespread than you have any idea. So you need to be on guard. Pay attention to what's around you. I remember when I began to learn to drive. I was 16 and my parents had signed me up for driving lessons at my school. And my driving instructor, Mr. Scott, who was so awesome, we get into the car and he begins to try to teach me to drive. And if you've ever had these lessons, these driving lessons, you know what I'm about to talk about. And he began to teach me um, about defensive driving, right? You're in the car and you're always looking to see what everyone else is doing. So if you're driving, you're making sure there's enough space to the car in front of you, behind you. And they always say it's one car per 10 miles. So there should be that many cars in front of you. And if you're on the highway, you always wanna have what's to the left and to the, you know, to the right of you completely free so that if something happens, you can move in and out. I was confused because I thought, we live in New Jersey, Mr. Scott. We don't drive defensively in New Jersey, Mr. Scott. We drive aggressively in New Jersey. We drive in the left lane and we leave 10 inches for every 10 miles if they're not going fast enough in the left lane. We try to cut in on the ramp when you know the traffic's lined up for a mile, but you could get to exit 10 on 295 and just get off before everybody else and shortcut all of that traffic, right? This is what we know And when we go to any other state, we get so frustrated by defensive drivers. Why are they waiting? What are they doing? They're paying attention to everyone else around them. They are driving defensively. And we get frustrated at them because they're careful about how they drive. And they look at us like maniacs. And what Paul is saying is like, listen, you cannot drive your life like you live in New Jersey. You have got to be defensive in the way that you live your life. You live around a dangerous environment. And if you aren't careful, you're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. And he continues with this, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. Right? I I, I like this. Don't approach life like what you're doing doesn't matter. We don't get that privilege. And Paul's like, you can't just let this go. This matters. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What's really cool is this word understand in the Greek is, it's an imperative verb, which means it's a command. He's telling them to understand and he's not like yelling at them saying understand things and then now they get it but this idea of understand is he's saying you have got to face up to acknowledge embrace to be honest with yourself because you know what wisdom is you know who's around you you know where you live you know what's going on in your sphere of influence. You know your history, and you know the direction of your past, and you have got to understand that all of those things matter as you choose to walk out your life. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you have got to keep the Lord's will in your mind. Not walking around like our choices don't matter, but genuinely asking, God, is this what you want? How many of us actually have that question on our mind when we make decisions? That we wonder, God, is this your will for me? Or is this someone else's will for me? Most of us, I think we toe the line with the decisions that we make. When we're in situations That we know we're likely not going to make the right choices. Um, We kind of are okay with this and we never wonder if it's in God's will. We we try to convince ourselves over and over, you know, this time it'll be different. Last time it, it didn't go like what I expected or it went fine, I'll do it again, it's not that big of a deal. Maybe I had a couple of near misses but this time it will be different and we use this false sense of justification to enable ourselves to make bad decisions. And in those moments, we are not truly understanding. We are not being honest with ourselves. We're not understanding understanding how dangerous the world around us really is in our everyday life. And Paul says, you guys know you. So you are the one Who's in charge of setting up guardrails. You have to do this. And then what he does here is he gives this great one thing leads to another illustration. This is when he's going to get really, really practical. And and we have to remember the idea of this series is, is about guardrails. And guardrails are one thing that keep us from another. And Paul is giving an illustration here of how one thing leads To another, okay? So this is what it means to walk wisely. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine. Now, um, a little ancient history here is that uh, wine was actually a regular staple in most of ancient history's diet. And that's simply because wine was safer to drink than water. Water is very hard to find a way to store it without it going bad or getting bacteria. And they didn't understand any of that. So you could have a drink and get sick if you knew that water was sitting out or really sick. And so for the average uh, person living in the first century here, um, it, it, the best way to put it is that wine could make you drunk while water could make you dead, right? So you would have very often wine water. It was this way to, you know, kill the bacteria in that water a lot of times. And they all understood it. And now this is a one thing leads to another illustration, right? And he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, now this, this right here, this is what a guardrail looks like, okay? This is what a guardrail looks like. It's one thing that keeps us from another. And when you see this, when you see do not get drunk on wine for it leads to, what do you think it leads to? Does anything come to mind for you? Does anyone come to mind? Do you you know anyone who wishes do not get drunk was a guardrail? The chances are that, that some people here listening, you right now know your life would look so different if do not get drunk was a guardrail that you had, that there were moments in your life that you wish that existed for you. Chances are you wish that guardrail existed for someone else in your life. For a mom, for a dad, for a caregiver in your life. How different would it look if they had a guardrail that said, do not get drunk because, and, and, and they guardrailed, they knew that this was the, the moment they could be, they can't. Their life would look completely different. Your life might look completely different if they had this guardrail. And I, and I will say this, um, because we rarely talk about alcohol at Crossbridge, And we do talk about things when they come up in scripture. So I'm just going to say this and we're going to move on quickly. But please hear me on this. If more than one person has told you in your life that you drink too much, you drink too much. Okay? If more than one person has said that to you, please, I'm begging you, go get the help that you need. You need this guardrail. Let's keep going, okay? Paul says, listen, The problem with getting drunk is what it leads to. Okay, it's what it leads to. Drunk is the guardrail. And I know for some of you, it's probably the goal, right? It's the goal. And it's funny, right up until there's an accident and your teen or your loved one's in a car that was hit by someone who missed that guardrail physically and in their own life or that driver of the car that your teen was in that didn't have that car. It's funny to think that's the goal until she gets punched in the face again with a kid watching. It's funny until that kid has to clean up mom's vomit again and try to get her into bed and lie to their teachers about what happened. It's funny until there's a point at your frat or your sorority when everyone else can stop and you realize I I can't stop. Suddenly, what was a pastime and a pleasure has now become a pathway for someone and it has completely changed the trajectory of their life. And a guardrail is the only thing that stops us from this pathway and trajectory. How many times have we thought, if I had only established and we wished that something was different, and here's where that understanding that Paul says, I need you to have comes in. Based on what I know about me and my history and what I want for the future and based on what I think God wants for my life, what is the wise thing for me to do and where do I need to set up guardrails because I know I'm gonna bump up against things that maybe you are not gonna struggle with. That's a straight away for you but it feels like a snake part of the road for me. This is when culture is going to mock us when we set up these guardrails. They're going to laugh and they're going to shame us because, oh, well, you must have that drinking problem. And Paul says, no, don't get drunk on wine because it leads to debauchery is the word that he uses. We don't use this word. That's not a 21st century word but what this word really means is sexual indulgence as a result of our lack of or our loss of self-control. Which brings us back to what this series is all about, having guardrails. Why? Because guardrails safeguard us from handing control over to someone or something else. That's what guardrails do. Guardrails might hurt when we bump them, hurt when we hit them, but these guardrails will safeguard us. Our kids, our spouses, our grandkids, the people that we work with, they will keep us from handing control over to someone or something else. And it's important to remember that Paul, he's writing to Christians here, people who genuinely have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, who they all agree, Paul and this church, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was the Son of God, who lived an absolutely perfect life here on earth, and yet was crucified, killed, and in that moment took on the entire sin of the world to pay a price we couldn't pay. And they all agreed that he was buried 100% dead, and three days later, 100% alive, and ascended and sitting at the right hand of God at this very moment. They all agree on this. So Paul taps into this and he says to the disciples of Jesus there, now, please hear me. I know that if you're watching and you're not a disciple of Jesus, everything has made sense up to this point. You're like, oh good, I could share this with anybody. Please do. We would love that. That's, that's what we're aiming for here. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, I need you to lean into this a little more because we have an advantage that I believe those who do not necessarily and have not placed their trust in Jesus yet have. We have an advantage. And he says this, as disciples of Jesus, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. As disciples of Jesus, we have this amazing privilege of when we place our trust in Christ, he says, I'm leaving so that I can send you the same spirit that's in me, and we receive the Holy Spirit. And I know that sounds weird, I get it, but there is a miraculous part of our life that the Holy Spirit, He resides inside us. And what happens is when we place our trust in Jesus, He leads us in a different way. And one of the many ways that the Holy Spirit leads us is He acts through our conscience, Right, he 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 uses and kind of hijacks our conscience a little bit, and you know this if you've placed your trust in Jesus. When you did that, all of a sudden things started to be like and they started to like come into focus. And you're like, what? What is happening? Things seem different. What used to bother you or didn't bother you now? There's a, there's a moment where you're going, uh. and, and what Paul is saying is. As disciples of Jesus, your control, the control of your life, instead of handing it over to someone else or something else, instead of handing it over to alcohol or money or sex or grades, perfection or work or greed or hobbies, anxieties, an affair, an abusive relationship, instead of handing control to anyone or anything else, your control should be given to the Holy Spirit who's going to hone you in and give you these uh, kind of moments. These are good moments, that moment that makes you pause and think twice now. That's where fine-tuning is happening, and the Holy Spirit is conforming us into the image of Christ. And when I think of that, that like, uh, I think of like this face that's like, mm, you know when you make that face that you're caught? You're about to jump online when no one else is around, and it won't be that big of a deal. And as you go to hit enter, it's, mm, that's the Holy Spirit. You're about to share that story that someone trusted you with, with someone else. Mm. You're about to answer that text when you know where it leads to is not your home, but theirs in a long night. You don't need to be there. And instead of... Mm. You're about to shortcut that assignment, not take responsibility at work or pass that thing off. These are the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our life that has taken control of who we are. And I remind my kids constantly in my home that feeling guilty about doing something wrong is a sign of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a good sign. We should worry when that doesn't happen in our life, when there's no moment in our life, that's the moment we should be begging God to take control of our life again because we're not making the most, the the best use of our time. We're not paying attention to who we were, who we are, what we want out of life. And the culture that's around us, we have lost control when we no longer go, "Eh." that's why we need these guardrails. And we're going to keep coming back to this over and over, over the next weeks. If we don't have these moments uh, to set up the guardrails, we will never be able to step into what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is for our life. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil and therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This is what we're called to. And no one plans to wreck their life any more than they plan to wreck their car, right? No one plans to mess up and take these missteps in life, in their marriages, in their jobs, in their school. You know, No one plans to go off the road. But the problem is we just don't plan not to. We just don't plan not to. And guardrails are what protect us from that. Guardrails are how you set yourself up to walk wisely. And I already know what some of you are thinking. You're writing me off. I get it. I get it. You're thinking, Jimmy. I'm so much more careful than that. Like, I'll be careful. I'm smarter than that. And it's easy to say this, and it's easy to say, you know what, that's what kids or teenagers say. And while I do honestly believe in teens, um, you know, kids listen, if you're you're watching, listen, I, I know that you think you're invincible. I completely get it. We all live like that. And your parents are trying to tell you all sorts of things. We'll get about that next week. But listen, I know that you think this, And I'm about to say something to those adults in the room and adults look at me, you think this too. You think I'm smart enough now and I will be careful. I'll be careful. Guardrails are how you be careful. Guardrails are how you be careful. And I really hope that you get this if you are younger in our church, because I truly believe that the future of your life could be eliminating a ton of regrets if you simply start to set these things up now, that the adults who may be in the room with you or you will go see later for family dinners or whatever could give you a list of regrets because they didn't have a guardrail. Your life will look so different with them. The benefit of guards, guardrails is simply this, that it's easier to discern God's will for our life when they're there than when they're not. It's easier for us to stay on the path that God has for us, which is already narrow when we set up these guardrails for our life. And it's not about stepping away from what can harm us. Um, it, it, it's about setting up a guard from what can harm us so that we could step towards the one who loves us. That's where our eyes are, they're on Jesus. And it's not about becoming a better person. Your life will look different for this, but it's not about doing the right things. This is about surrendering the fact that we can't control certain parts of our life. And if we don't set up guardrails, we will wreck. And when we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit, to the person in the teachings of Jesus, to the Father who created us, when we surrender there, I truly believe these guardrails that we bump up against then become a testimony to people in ditches that we pass. They see us, and and it's funny, the people in the ditches aren't the ones who are gonna be shaming us, are they? No, they're the ones who are saying, can you help me out? And we can because we're not in a ditch. We're not on the side. We are going towards Jesus, and it's not just about us, but it's about what God is doing through us for others. This is why we need guardrails. So where do you start? I would love for you this week to consider these three questions. What is it that you need to face up to right now? It's already bugging you and I can see it. What is it that you need to face up to? Where are you flirting with disaster? Where are you riding on the Ben Franklin super close to that edge? You know. Where are you driving too close to that edge? I pray this week that the Holy Spirit would give you deep insight to know the areas of your life that you need to set up guardrails. And we are going to get super practical next week as we continue to set these up in areas that we all need guardrails to keep our eyes on Jesus and taking one step towards Him each and every day. God bless you, Crossbridge. See you next week. We're so glad you joined us today. We believe that steps of faith happen in community, and we would love for you to connect and grow with us in a small group at Crossbridge. Our chat hosts are dropping a link in the chat now so you can see all the virtual and in-person groups we have available. If you have questions or you're not sure what group is best for you, shoot us a message at prayer at crossbridgecc.org. We can't wait to help you connect. We are all about loving God, loving people, and serving the world. If you wanna to give to help further that mission, you can head over to crossbridgecc.org give for all the ways that you can help contribute.